On Second Shot, we cover two new stories every week to find out what kind of wisdom the world is dishing out today. And at the heart of every one of these stories are people, just like you and me, who've had to overcome incredible odds, to face the greatest challenges, to struggle and fight back. But now, we're changing it up. In these episodes, we're skipping the headlines and going straight to the people that inspire us to grow, to be bold, seek change, and act courageously when the rest of the world may not. A second look, a second chance, a second shot. This is Second Shot Sit-Downs with your host, Jenny Anchondo. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to Second Shot and Second Shot Sit-Downs. I'm Jenny Anchondo, and really, the goal behind this series is that we bring in people who are inspirational, who are motivational. I, I truly have this belief that everybody has a story and that's what we're out to do, to share those stories of people who have taken a second shot at life to really transform their life experience. And the guest today is such a great example of that. Sarah Frey is an American farmer and entrepreneur. She is the youngest of 21 children. And today she is the CEO and owner of Frey Farms, which she founded, by the way, as a teenager at age 16. A couple years later, well, she went ahead and she took over the entire family farm. She started doing business with the largest grocery retailers in the country. But this was not an easy journey, as you can imagine. So here to share her second shot is Sarah Frey. Welcome, Sarah. Hi, Jenny. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I am really excited about this story. I've been able to read up on your backstory, gosh, in Huffington Post and Forbes, and you're, you're all over the place. So we want to start at the beginning. We, we know that the end of this is a major, major success story by all accounts. But let's rewind mm -hmm. a little bit. Tell us about your upbringing. What was it like growing up as the youngest of 21 kids? Yeah, um, Jenny, I grew up on a small family farm in Southern Illinois. And um, we lived, you know, out in the country, 30 minutes from the nearest, you know, civilization, the nearest sure. grocery store, um, et cetera. And, um, you know, I was the youngest of 21, but by and large, I grew up with my four older brothers here. So the 21 uh, children are from my parents' uh, combined marriages. Um, and I was the youngest, so lucky number 21. <laughs> and... Um, Growing up, uh, growing up here in um, rural Southern Illinois, uh, the way that I did was, you know, it was it was very difficult. But I also have a lot of really great childhood memories from growing up on the farm and the way in which we did. So um, I write about all of that in the growing season. Um, my goal for most of my childhood and most of my teen years was to escape this place and never return. I wanted out of rural poverty and I wanted to create a life for my, you know, for myself outside of um, Southern Illinois. So yeah. most of my, most of my life was actually spent trying to get off the farm. And I, <laughs> and ironically, ironically, I find myself, um, you know, here today, like, oh, wow, this actually is the escape especially in 2020. Isn't, oh gosh, I know every, everyone's trying to become a farmer now, Sarah. <laughs> Everybody's trying to get some land. Well, and isn't yeah. it interesting? I think that's super relatable to so many people who grew up in a small community or even more of a medium-sized community is that it's like, you wanna hit it big or get to the big city. And then sometimes you realize that, gosh, it was so beautiful where you grew up. But you mentioned rural poverty. For people who have not experienced that, we wanna give a greater sense of what your upbringing was like. Explain what that was like, what, what sort of the daily challenges were. 
Yeah. So from, from as a small child, I, uh, along with my brothers, I mean, we hunted for our food. We harvested our food. We didn't have indoor heating. We cut wood every day in the winter to be able to, to stay warm. And just really those basic um, survival skills were learned um, at an early age by all of us. And being the youngest and the only girl growing up in the house, I was expected um to do just as much as the boys and, and oftentimes <laughs> in certain circumstances even more. So, um, it, you know, it was, it was extremely challenging. It was, uh, you know, it, it was, it was, a, it was a very tough way of life. And, um, I write about, um, some of those experiences in the book, The Growing Season. And for me, you know, there was, a, there was a lot, a lot of things that I discussed in the book are, are deeply personal, you know, personal childhood stories of overcoming fear and finding, you know, your courage when you feel like you're, you know, isolated. And, um, so, you know, as far as describing, you know, rural poverty, it's it's one of the things that it's kind of hard to get your head wrapped around it. We see a lot about urban, we see and read a lot about ur- urban poverty and what that looks like. But rural poverty is very different. It's very quiet. And the children who are affected by it uh, normally suffer in silence. And, and it's my hope, too, that this book shines a light on what happens in rural America. Yeah, so you mentioned the book, and we know that it it details part of you sort of taking this lead and taking this initiative in the family as a teenager to start your own business venture. Explain what the the start of your entrepreneurial journey was. Well, one of the fondest memories that I have growing up as a child was actually getting to leave the farm. And I, I would accompany my mother on a small fresh produce delivery route. She had about 12 grocery stores that she would deliver watermelons and cantaloupes to in the summer. And as a little girl, I remember just feeling like joining her on that delivery route was freedom because I got to get off of the farm and I actually got to see people. And I think I was eight years old when I made my first produce sale uh, at a grocery store to a produce manager. And it was uh, it was a summer job that I ended up obviously taking very seriously. <laughs> but because when, when I moved out at 15, I... Um, I took the family's truck. My mom went to work for a radio station, and I took over her uh, small route, and I grew it to about 150 stores that summer. And, you know, the rest is kind of history at this point. Well, yeah, so so, so 15-year-old, <laughs> if you guys aren't familiar with farming communities, <laughs> kids get to drive really early <laughs> on the farm, right? So that was like no big deal for Sarah, I'm sure. She was driving around <laughs> very much an adult. How did it go from from, you know, that to then taking over the entire farm as a teenager, that's a massive amount of responsibility. Well, the farm was small. It was only about 80 acres. And my brothers, my four older brothers had already all left for college. And I was the last kid left on the farm. And, you know, it was a financially distressed farm for a number of years. And so I was, the money that I was making when I had started my own business, um, I, I didn't intend to buy a farm with it. I was trying to get out of Southern Illinois and off of the farm. But when the farm, um, you know, basically faced imminent uh, foreclosure, I ultimately made a decision um, to stay, to stay behind. And I knew at that point in my life, I wouldn't be joining my older brother Leonard at the University of Illinois, that it was ultimately my responsibility to stay and to create something and build something 
so that we would all have something to come home to. And, you know, up until that moment, I actually made that decision and in, in less than probably 30 seconds when I was walking the last horse that we had off of the farm. And I was taking a, a really good look around at this piece of property that I had grown up on and had so many, many memories on some, some very, very harsh, very brutal memories, as well as some really incredibly great memories. Mm -hmm. And I just, I felt this overwhelming sense of, um, family and family bonds. And I felt as though if I would have left in that moment in the future, we wouldn't have had anything to come back home to. And, you know, I can, you know, fortunately I can say today, I didn't know then, and I didn't know in that moment. Um, but today I can say that I'm very happy that I made that choice. I'm glad that you did too. It, well, you talked about a financially distressed farm and it sounds like it was like that for a number of years. What did you do to turn it around? How did a teenager have the uh, wherewithal to make these business decisions to make it profitable? Yeah, we have to remember by this time, I, you know, I was very young, but I had also been running my business um, for, you know, I had two, two years worth of business experience as far as, you know, working on old equipment <laughs> sure. and getting it running to, to uh, you know, expanding the grocery delivery route. So I was actually making pretty good money as a teenager and I was building, um, I was building a good financial reputation as well. I think my first loan was uh, from a bank for $10,000 to upgrade, not by a new truck, but to buy a better used truck. So I was building relationships um, at a very early age in the financial community. So I knew when I made that decision that ultimately when the time came, um, I could take over the farm at 17 and then when the time came and I needed to purchase it, I would be able to do that. What was the difference between how it was run before you took over and how it was run after? Um, you know, it's really, really, my father mismanaged um, much of the farm, uh, the business of the farm for many years because he he had a love and a passion for thoroughbred racehorses. And as, as anyone knows, um, you know, that's actually it's a very expensive sport, but we had a, uh, we had a horse breeding farm. So, but that was his dream and it was his passion. And I know my, my mother and my brother for many, many years, you know, all of their hard work and, you know, all of their hard earned money ultimately uh, could have saved that farm a hundred times over. And, you know, it wasn't really until, you know, the very end uh, when I was getting ready to leave too, that things were really kind of sort of falling apart for my father as well. And so ultimately um, I had to make a decision that I, I was going to, you know, do things my way. It's a huge decision to make as a teenager. As I understand it, you were going to high school, also going to some college classes, and then also kind of getting that real world business expertise at the same time, all before the age of 18. Yeah, I, um, and, I, and you know, I would only tell you I was doing all of those things to get out, not because, oh, gee, I just loved school. I mean, when I started, you know, running my own business, I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm, you know, I, I make more than the teachers now. Like, why, why do I need to keep doing this? But I, I loaded my schedule up and I worked numerous jobs. And, you know, I attended high school and college simultaneously so that I could just get out of here quicker. The, you know, everything that I was doing was just just 
you know, one getting me one step closer to my freedom and being able to go out and build the life that I that I had imagined in my own mind. And that life looked very different than the life I lead today. It was a life in a city, a life, you know, with an office in a skyscraper somewhere and far, far away from, you know, rural America. Was there ever a big a big break or something that that made the difference for you when you look back and think, okay, this was the pivotal moment that really made this farm successful? You know, there were many moments like that, Jenny. Um, I, I feel like there there were so there were so many in it, and I just, you know, everything that um, I did ultimately, I, I didn't I didn't necessarily when an opportunity came up, I I I never really questioned my my courage or my confidence because of the way that I had been raised and um, the experiences that I had on the farm. So for instance, you know, doing business with Walmart was a pivotal point in my career. I, you know, as a very young teenager, I was selling directly to their division one grocery, uh, not grocery, but their um, general merchandise stores before they were all converted to super centers. And because I had that business with them and I was already delivering fresh produce with them, when they opened a distribution center about an hour from where I grew up, you know, I, I just went and I, I stopped into the DC without an appointment and walked in, you know, I didn't have an appointment and I, I just walked through the front door and I asked if they were gonna have a produce buying office there. And you know, the, there, was a, there was a nice gentleman there that had met me in the distribution center. He said, yes, as a matter of fact, there's a woman setting her office up now and, and she's going to be the buyer. And I said, great, can you introduce me? And ultimately in that moment, over the course of the next 30 minutes of my life, um, she ended up saying, oh, you're a Walmart supplier? And I said, well, of course I'm a Walmart supplier. I'm delivering to your stores. <laughs> and it would be a lot easier if I could just bring all this produce here instead of having to go to about 12 or 15 different Walmart stores. And she said, that's fantastic. I'll take three semi-loads a week of your watermelons, two semi-loads a week of your cantaloupes, and this, that, and the other. And I said, well, great. When, can, you know, when the D.C. opens, I'll start shipping them to you direct. And you know, I walked out that day. Um, after I told her that I could do that, and I, I actually walked out to my uh, Ford one-ton Dewey. <laughs> I was like, that's not a semi-truck, and she meant semi. So uh, I very quickly had to figure out how I was going to satisfy and take care of that business, in which I did. Right, so you did the deal and then figured out, we'll just, we'll just figure it out, right? We'll just yes, get it yes. taken care of. Okay, so your company is now the largest grower of pumpkins in the U.S. You have fresh fruits, veggies in seven states distribute some products nationally. Let's talk about revenue. We, we talked about the, the farm in the beginning. It was not doing well. Um, how, where are we all these years later? Explain so that people can kind of get a grasp of the impact you've had. Sure, so we sell millions and millions of watermelons, cantaloupes, pumpkins. We're probably you know, best known as the largest supplier of pumpkins in America, but actually we sell more watermelons than we than, than we do pumpkins. Um, but this is kind of a pumpkin-y time of year, so your viewers are probably you know, really interested in, in what's happening on the pumpkin farm. Um, and we also make fresh beverages. So fry, we, we farm um, and we grow fruits and vegetables in seven different states where we have farms and facilities, and we ship our produce nationally. And we also make um, consumer packaged goods and um, uh, fresh beverages. So you can find a, a fresh beverage at, at your local Subway store. I know that in, in the Dallas area, 
um, those franchisees carry our watermelon drink. And it's, you know, it's it's made right here on, on, on the farm where I grew up. Yes, let's talk about Sama, that watermelon drink. What <laughs> what made, gave you the idea? You were, were you just so abundant with watermelons that you figured, what the heck, let's make a drink out of it? Or was this just really like a specific opportunity and a place in the market where th there wasn't such a thing out there? Well, I had been um, I had been a little spoiled because up up until the point that I started Sama, I had access to like millions of watermelons, <laughs> and I had been drinking fresh watermelon juice since I was a little girl. And I sort of took for granted that everyone had access to fresh watermelon juice. And and, and then, you know, I was actually and I, I actually tell this story in the book. I was at a uh, I was at a meeting in Savannah, Georgia, and it was it was a board meeting, and we ended up being addressed by the. Uh, I believe she was from South Carolina, the, a watermelon queen. And she was talking about all of the research that had been done at, at various universities on the health and the functional benefits, especially for athletes um, with watermelon. And so in that moment, I, I had visions of like athletes trying to eat slices of watermelon to get the, the <laughs> right. really great lycopene and L-citrulline out of it. And I thought, oh, no, 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 this isn't going to work. I, we need to put it in a bottle and make juice out of it. And then it also made really good sense for my business because um, not every piece of fruit is perfect, um, you know, that you grow. And, you know, a fr fruit can be, you know, taste incredibly good and be delicious and have visual imperfections and not be able to end up uh, at, in, a, in a grocery store. So what we needed to do was figure out a way, how do we take that ugly fruit, find its greater purpose, and you know, incorporate it into a, a, a delicious product, either as, a, as an ingredient or as a standalone. So that's what we ended up doing when we, when we um, developed the Sama brand. Actually, I have a bottle right here. It's so good, you guys. It's so good. You guys it's had so watermelon good. juice. Now, see, now at first we weren't necessarily as jealous of your upbringing, but now we hear you've had watermelon juice your whole life, <laughs> and now we're back to being very, very envious. <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, so you started out with it was just kind of you because your older siblings were off at college. How many employees do you have now? So we have a, a over 500 seasonal and um, uh, part-time and full-time employees, and we're really like we're ramped up right now because we're getting ready to start the, the uh, pumpkin harvest. And uh, this time of the year, it's like all hands on deck because so much has to happen in such a short window of time. So just to give you sort of an example of, of the scope of the business right now, we have like a hundred semi truck loads of uh, of pumpkins and ornamentals like the fall of the little miniature pumpkins and the, and the, and the gourds and the hard squash. We're shipping uh, out a hundred semi loads a day right now. And we're just getting started. I mean, it's, it's the beginning of the month. It's, it's not even Labor Day yet. So <laughs> it's, uh, we, we actually start harvesting in August for, yeah. the, for the fall crop. This is like your Super Bowl here. This is the farmers, the mm -hmm. pumpkin farmers Super Bowl. That's so right. here we go. I'm curious what That's your right. family thinks about all of this. So uh, I was fortunate enough um, to have, you know, a very close relationship. My four older brothers came home and joined me in the business and uh, one by one. And ultimately, as we, you know, kept growing the business, it, it afforded them the opportunity to have something to come home to. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, it was it was really that inspiration. It's not like. I, in, this is a beautiful place. I live on a beautiful, beautiful farm in Southern Illinois. It looks very different um, now uh, than, it, than it did when I grew up. Um, but you know, the, 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 the natural surroundings are gorgeous. But that's not why I, that's not why I bought the farm. That's not why I built the company. Um, 
I built I built the, the, the company and saved the farm to save my family. And that's ultimately ultimately, you know, what happened. And and now they're all with me in the business and, and we're thriving and you know, we're, we're, we're back together. Oh, that's such a beautiful message, especially right now where so many of us are separated from our families just with the pandemic and everything. It's, it, yeah. it does hit close to home. Sarah, I would love to hear your advice for the small town gal or guy who's watching or listening and thinking, I just want to get out too. I just want to get out too. What's your best, you know, what are there some best practices, whether they get out and come back or get out and stay out for finding success and passion in their career? Yeah, you know, that's the person that I envisioned um, in my mind um, while I was writing the growing season. The person who felt like maybe they were stuck or, or maybe didn't have hope. And the best advice that I could give is that sometimes, uh, you know, ultimately the life that we dream of escaping is ultimately the life that we can build upon and expand upon and be successful in. And it's just, you know, for me, it was just looking at a new way of doing things. I knew I couldn't grow traditional row crops on the farm and be successful. So that, so I had to think, I, even though I was in the same place, I had to think very differently. Mm. So it's really, it's really more of a mindset. No matter where you're from, you can, you can be in, a, you know, living in in, in New York City, or, or you can uh, be living uh, in the hills of Kentucky somewhere. And it's really what your mindset is. And you can be, and you can be in one place, but you can think of the world and what you want differently. And if you can dream it, you can do it. And ultimately, that's you know, that's really the essence of the, of the growing season. And also it helps, you know, I mean, for me, I had to look past all of life's imperfections to see the greater good and to find the purpose ultimately, ultimately and a lot of the things that I went through as a child. And, um, you know, I did that and I, I, have, I, have, I have no regrets. I know that everything that I went through at a very early age shaped me into the person that I am today. And I, I want that feeling for others who, you know, are going through difficult times. Yeah, it's, it's almost like the, the watermelon metaphor, finding the imperfections and then making the most of it. I mean, truly, that's what you did with that juice. I mean, that, yeah. that's really, it seems like yeah. that's the message in the book and also the message in the, in the, uh, in the juice as, as we see it out in stores yeah. and seeing it be, become so successful. Who, who is this book for, the growing season? Who, sh who needs to pick up this book and what are they going to get out of it? Well, the book is really for everyone. Um, it, it was just recently released, but so many people have reached out from, you know, young teenage girls to, you know, 80 year old men who have just really enjoyed the read. But like I said, you know, the, the person that I saw in my head when I was writing this was someone um, who, who needed hope, who was maybe feeling isolated and, you know, living in fear and ultimately needed hope and needed inspiration and needed to know that they too could change their lives, that they just needed to see through, through life's imperfections, find the greater good, find the greater purpose and find their courage. Yeah, it's a, it's a great message. We know that the, that the story does end well, and, but I would love to hear, you know, we heard about that story about the Walmart where you go in and you make the deal and, and, and you work it all out. What has been the biggest challenge? What's the biggest obstacle that you have overcome? I like to give these as examples so people can see how far you've come and also see what you've been through. You know, the biggest obstacle I think for me was um, just overcoming fear. 
at, at a very early age. I mean, you know, there were there there's an instance in the book where you know my my father is has challenged me not not necessarily challenged me, but he's told me that I should pick up this massive snapping turtle, and the, the turtle is the size of a garbage can lid, and it's hissing at me. It's in the middle of the road, and he wants me to pick it up by the tail and throw it in the back of the truck. And I'm looking at him like, hey, you got to be crazy, right? I'm like seven years old. I'm like, this thing's going to take off my arm. And he said, no, you put that turtle in the truck. It was going to be dinner that night. And uh, I literally, I knew that I couldn't challenge his authority. And so I literally looked at the t- turtle's tail and I closed my eyes and, and, and in one tail swoop, I, I leaned down and I grabbed it and I threw it like a lasso. <laughs> it went over my head and into the back of the, of the pickup truck. And then when I heard the thud, when the turtle landed in the truck, I thought, oh my gosh, I did that. Like I just rustled this really mean, nasty snapping turtle. And I, I put that, I put that nasty beast in, in the truck. And so I never let my father see the satisfaction on my, on my face after doing that. Um, but I was incredibly satisfied with myself. And there was a, you know, and then I sort of started, it was, you know, all of the little experiences that I talk about like that in the book and those things set me up for some of the bigger challenges that I had to, to overcome as a child when I had to, you know, stand up to abuse and ultimately find my courage to speak out and find my, my courage to, you know, face down my abuser. And, um, you know, those, those are the things, those are the experiences, though, that I have to credit with being able to, to have that ability. I mean, you know, things were, things were very difficult, but um, like I said, I, I, don't have, I don't have any regrets. I don't want to let you touch on that and then not delve in at, at all. Can you explain a little bit about what that abuse was and, and for anybody who's been through that themselves uh, to see where you got your strength and how you dealt with that? Yeah. Well, I talk about it in the book. You know, it was a part of my life um, that, you know, I, I went through and uh, ultimately it was it was something that I had to, you know, overcome. And like I said, I had to find the courage to stand up to it. And, you know, I would just uh, I, I would encourage anyone who is interested, you know, in, in the book to, you know, or feels like they, you know, have, have went through, a, had a similar experience in their life, or if they're going through a similar experience, pick up the book, because we all have it inside of ourselves to stand up to that. Sarah Frey, thank you so much for giving us the time. Thank you for sharing your story and, and the inspiration. Again, the book is The Growing Season. Let everybody know where they can find it and find you. So you can um, find the book on, on Amazon or at Walmart, and you can um, feel free to please reach out to me. Let me know what you think of the book at Sarah Fry on Instagram, S-A-R-A-H-F-R-E-Y, Sarah Fry on Instagram. And there's also a link, a direct link on my Instagram um, to go and purchase the book. Sarah, thank you. We wish you the absolute best, and I know that the book is going to be an absolute hit. Thank you again. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Jenny. All right, you guys, we will link that book up on secondshotpodcast.com. You can also find all of these episodes by going to CW33.com. Click on Second Shot, and these are always highlighted on CW33 Thursday mornings, 10 to 11 a.m. If there is someone that you know of who is a source of inspiration, who has had a true second shot, and you think that their story needs to be told, well, reach out to us at secondshotcast at gmail.com. We'll talk to you soon.